Now, in Luke chapter 11, that's page 1033, we find Jesus on another occasion, apart from his mountain sermon, on another occasion, he also um, specifically spoke to his disciples about this teaching that he'd given, teaching the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I'm not going to repeat the Lord's Prayer, which is, is on page 1033, which is uh, on uh, verses 2 to, f- two to uh, 4, but I'm going to read down from verse 5. Now this is when, in answer to the question, or answer to the request, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught taught his disciples. And he he teaches them uh, the the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, in verse 5, he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And uh, he will answer from within, Oh, don't bother me. The door's now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's impudence, the the word is shamelessness, (laughs) the shamelessness of the friend making this request, He'll rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg... We'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now let's start pray as we look into this word. Well, Father, we have said that we... Um, are in the kingdom of heaven, that we believe in Jesus. Many of us here, at least, Lord. But Lord, we know that you have told us to ask, to seek, and to knock in prayer. And we we know, Lord, that um, this is very important. And we pray, Lord, please, that you will um, speak to each of us to show us what this means and uh, help us, Lord, to put this into practice in our lives as we meditate now upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you have noticed this property of this expression we use, Happy New Year, have a Happy New Year. What's that supposed to What do you mean, have a Happy New Year? Are we, are we praying to God that this person will have a Happy New Year? Do we think that somehow we can... <laughs> You know, produce happiness in this person. What can we do? We're saying, have a happy new year. What? What, what are we doing? I mean, it's nice, but it doesn't mean anything really. Um, we face a year before us, 
We know that the international situation is very difficult. Economic situation might get much worse in this country. There's all kinds of personal problems you may be facing in your family or employment, economically and so on. And above all, um, we have our spiritual lives, of which your spiritual life may be in a pretty ropey state at the moment. You may not have much time for God in your life. On the other hand, you may be flourishing in the Lord. But still, there's a whole year before you, God willing, uh, in which, well, without God's grace and without God's help, maybe you'll end up in a ropey spiritual state. How can we, how can we somehow find the key to unlocking happiness, peace, prosperity spiritually in this coming year? Um, I've got my, uh, one of my many uh, phones here. I, I lose phones with a great regularity, but... I mean, one of the frustrations of any, like a phone or a, a computer, when you're using them, if you've lost the password, how frustrating it is, isn't it? You cannot seem to log into this very important account, and it's just as bad as if the phone or the computer was lost, because you can't get you know, into whatever it is that you're into, because you haven't got the right password, the key. Um, church, uh, and many older buildings have... Skeleton keys, as you might call them, they will open a number of doors. Jesus is, in, in Luke's Gospel, and in the, uh, the mountain sermon, in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, was talking about spiritual blessings, the future, of, and destiny, if you like, of, of the, both the unbelievers that were listening and also his disciples. And at the center of it all, there are these words, ask Seek and knock. And it, it's like that these three activities are the passwords that open up the blessing, because uh, for reasons which I'll talk about in my sermon. As we look into this new year, um, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us ask, seek, and knock. Uh, I want to, us to notice that the the first important thing, though, is to address this question. Uh, uh, maybe if you're listening online or someone in the church may not yet have received eternal life. I mean, what is more important than eternal life? This is a word that's repeated over and over again uh, in, in the New Testament. Eternal life, not just a life in this body which gets old and then basically just wears out if you don't get killed by a, a car or by a bomb or whatever else is going around. We eventually just wear out, all of our organs wear out, and then we, we, we croak our last and that's it. What's more important than eternal life? Now, especially as the New Testament and as Jesus defines it, we're talking not about just merely going on and on forever like some decrepit vampire who's 3,000 years old. We're talking about a quality of life, of peace and of joy and of happiness which is coursing through our soul forever and ever. And what is more important than to find eternal life, to have eternal life? And, uh, of course, this is what, what Jesus came to do. He came to give the words of eternal life. When... When various disciples were, who were supposedly following Jesus, they all started to, to desert him en masse at one point. And Jesus turns around to Peter and the other disciples and says, well, you're going to leave as well. And Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And for all the faults of Peter and all the faults of the other disciples, they saw what the mass of people didn't see. That here was the source of eternal life, Jesus himself. And in the mountain sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and in, um, in Luke chapter 11 as well, Jesus challenges us to whether or not we've got this life. It, particularly in, in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus making various radical, rather shocking statements. Which should make us question, have we got eternal life? So, for instance, he says, you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard expected of human beings. Well, hang on, that's not what I heard down the pub. <laughs> what people say down the pub, and in fact, in most houses in the country, is, oh, we're just human, everybody's human. Well, Jesus didn't say, well, everybody's human. He said, you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you're not, then you're in danger of the hell of fire. In reference to anger, for instance, he, 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 gave that, he gave that specific example. He said, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of the hell of fire. Pretty radical. It's very, uh, you know, kind of dark and, and shocking and, and disturbing. You know, people might accuse you of hate speech if you actually said this, uh, I suppose, on, on, the t- on a TV program. But there, there we go. He also said this. Uh, and we read it uh, when he was talking about, um, talking about answers to prayer. He said, you being evil can give good gifts to your children. You being rotten, kind of alternative meaning of that word, you being rotten can give good gifts to your children. That's not what people say, is it? People say, everybody's basically good. Everybody basically is kind, you know, but there's a few psychopaths and horrible people around, but everybody's basically good. And, which I've heard so many times, I'm a good person. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am rotten. You are rotten. <laughs> you are evil. My goodness. To, you know, to, for, for someone to look one, someone in the face and say that to them, it's shocking. And Jesus said it because he knew it was true. He knew that, yes, we are capable of doing good things in our family. You being evil can give good gifts to your children. You being evil and selfish, you can, you're capable of doing some good things, but that doesn't change the rottenness, the fabric of our inner spiritual life. And uh, he then goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to talk about you've got to strive to find the way out, to find, he says, to get on the road to life, salvation. Um, I, I noticed when I was down by the, uh, the coast uh, recently, um, National Lifeboat um, sort of uh, area and uh, the, the lifeboats. Uh, these people do a great job, wonderful job. When, when there's a, a ship that's going down, they'll go out into the high seas and terrible weather and they will try to get off the ship that's stricken or people that are drowning in the water, try and get them and save them and rescue them. Now that's exactly what the Bible tells us Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save the lost, the drowning. And when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't to rub our noses in our shame. I mean, goodness me, if, uh, if the Lord was to do this with me, I mean, oh, the thought of it, to actually, to actually have the Lord Jesus Christ 
condemning me and then uh, deserting me and rubbing my nose in the shame. I deserve it. But the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't like that. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've I've come to call sinners to repentance. I've come to save sinners. I've come to save the rotten, the evil, the nasty, the selfish, the corrupt, the impure, the horrible. (laughs) And how wonderful this is. This is is the, the third radical thing that Jesus said. Not only you should be perfect, not only actually you're rotten, but thirdly, actually, I love you and I've died for you. Jesus said, strive to enter by the narrow gate. Well, what is that narrow gate? Well, in John's Gospel... Jesus talks about this. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the door for the sheep. What he meant was, if anybody, uh, if, if anybody wants to actually be safe, you come through Jesus. Just like the sheep in those days used to have to stay close to the shepherd. And uh, if there was an enclosure, he would kind of uh, be the, the barrier to any predator coming into that enclosure. You know, no wolf is getting through me. He's got to go through me. That's what basically the shepherd was saying. He stood there, he, was, well, he lay there with his cudgel by his hand and was basically stop anybody, anybody getting to those sheep and destroying them. Now Jesus said, I am the one who protects the sheep from his own stupidity, from his own rottenness, from his own uh, condemnation, from his own imperfections. How wonderful this is. And the Bible says this, if you want to have eternal life, All you have to do is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that you could be forgiven. So you could have eternal life. You trust him. You talk to him. And you say, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for sinners, rotten people. I know I'm rotten, Lord. Please please accept me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And he certainly will. Now, so I want you to notice That that very process of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ follows that pattern. Ask, seek, and knocking. You see, asking is that first motion of, yes, Lord. But actually, there are many people that um, asked in Jesus' own career. I've already mentioned a time when a whole host of people that had said, I'm following Jesus. Yes, I'm following Jesus. But when, when it, things got difficult, they all abandoned Jesus. So it, when, when you become a Christian, it isn't just, uh, oh, I went to a meeting, I was really stirred up, and I put up my hand and said, oh, I want to follow Jesus. Or you wrote your, you, you, know, you made a decision for Christ, as it said, and you wrote it on a little bit of paper. No, that's, that, okay, that is asking, yes. But that, Jesus said, no, it's not just a, a, a one-off impulse. It's a, it's a seeking him. It's seeking to be with him. It's seeking to actually be, be at his location. And more than that, it's actually knocking at his door shamelessly in the middle of the night. In other words, all of the time beating at, at heaven's door and saying, Lord, please save me. And when you've saved me, please change me. And when you've changed me in one area, change me in another area and change me in another area. And all through my life, Lord, I want to be Jesus Christ's servant. Now, some of us as Christians only get as far as knocking once or twice on that. So, oh, Lord, please get rid of my uh, dishonesty. But, you know, other parts to us, our pride remains untouched. The Lord Jesus Christ wants us 
to, to come to him to receive salvation, but he wants us to carry on receiving the blessings of the Holy Spirit changing us and transforming us. You see, if we try to, if we try to do this by ourselves, to actually become the kind of Christians we, that we know we ought to be, by our own efforts, we will always fail. It is through God's power in our lives day by day that we're able to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So it's just asking, it's not just seeking, it's really knocking and knocking and continuing to knock uh, through our lives for God's blessing to come. Now, so the first thing is, I think this saying applies uh, to, of course, becoming, uh, becoming a Christian in the first place. But I also want us to notice this, that this shameless impudence in prayer is... <laughs> Jesus was recommending this to people who already believe as his disciples in Luke chapter 11. So in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, I think that was to a wider audience of believers and unbelievers. But when he was talking in, in Luke 11, it is clearly to the disciples, he gives this example of someone knocking at the door and shamelessly asking uh, for something, which was really quite outrageous. In the middle of the night, 12 o'clock, someone knocks you, up, knocks you up and says, oh, I would like, you know, can you lend me a loaf of bread and get up and wake the whole household up? Shameless. But that is what Christ encourages us as believers, to be totally, totally uh, without, um, without uh, any inhibitions in, ask, in asking God uh, for things. Now, here is where we must be very careful. There are people today that talk about prayer apart from its, its context in uh, the Sermon on the Mount or in Luke 11. Because the context is not just asking God for gigantic things shamelessly. It's asking from particular motivations. We're constantly mentioned, and we have to, uh, worldly preachers that are telling people all over the world in various pulpits, uh, seek prosperity. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to have material things and so on. Paul says we are not peddlers of God's word. Um, now, peddlers, he was thinking of, were people who were basically selling things on, on street corners that were worthless, that looked like they were worth something, but were actually worth next to nothing. We have public relations experts in our world that sees the perceived desires of people for self-fulfillment, oh, to be what I want to be, celebrity, success, prosperity, material riches. And they, these people, public relations experts, uh, use advertising uh, to be able to m make uh, companies rich and successful on the backs of people thinking, being persuaded, oh, I need your product. Religious public relations experts perceive that many people are economically insecure, are insecure with you know, personality problems and stuff, and they try to give them all the time, just believe and believe and believe and you will be fulfilled, you'll have this, you'll have that and the other. And actually all they're doing is feeding the shark of selfishness. They're feeding the, 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 the old nature, the corrupt nature of the Christian. If a, if a man or a woman is told, yes, desire riches, then they're doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, you can't serve two masters, where he said, uh, you know, don't seek treasure on earth, but seek treasure in heaven, where he said that if, if, the, if the eye within you is dark, how full of darkness, 
And if the motivation for being a Christian is to be rich, how dark and evil is that darkness within someone? And that's exactly what a preacher is when he's encouraging people to seek riches for the sake of it. It's perfectly in order to seek to be successful in your career and to have lots of money and give that money away. Not give it to a preacher, not give it to a church, but to give it to people that are in need that God leads you to give it to. But it is not in order to actually encourage the shark within. And uh, Paul says that, you know, what fruit you get from the things of which you are now ashamed. The end of these things is death. Whereas... As we become slaves of Christ and seek to him and him alone, not our own lusts and desires, but him, then we get sanctification and it's end eternal life. Sanctification is a strange word because it sounds so negative, set apart for God. Um, and people then think, yes, if I'm sanctified, I won't break that law and I won't break that law, I won't break that. And then I'm sanctified. But that's not really the, what the meaning of sanctified primarily means. It means set apart for God. <laughs> and of course, those who are sanctified will put effort, prayer, and energy into seeking to get rid of sin from our lives. That is part of what Romans chapter 6 is about. Six to eight is about. But above all, this is for God. Because we want to be God's people, God's children, filled with love for him. And that life that we have is an expression of our love for God. We're set apart for him. And that is the characteristic of, of believing prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. But make sure, firstly, that it's not motivated by worldliness, material desires for your own selfish desires. As James says, you ask not because, uh, sorry, you, you get not, you don't receive from God because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask uh, you know, to, 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 get your, uh, to get your lusts, to get your worldly lusts, not, not, not for his glory. But there's the world of difference between asking and seeking and knocking because you're seeking the glory of God. You're seeking uh, the love of God to flood and fill your heart. If we take uh, the mountain sermon of Matthew and, and look at the character of the believer who Jesus is asking... To seek to, to it, Jesus is is, is um, commanding, I suppose, to ask, seek, and knock. Notice this: that he is talking about the happy life, filled with joy and gratitude, at the blessed life that God has called us. But this is the kind of of, of heart that the Lord Jesus wants in us who are praying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're we being invited to share heaven with Jesus Christ. And he wants us to be poor in spirit, not proud, not domineering, not, not, not uh, constantly grinding other people down, but filled with love because he wants us to share heaven with him. How can I share heaven with Jesus Christ when my own, my own life and heart is not like him? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, we have a promise that whatever agonies and heartaches that we have on earth, we have a promise that we will have comforts and joy on earth through fellowship with God and in heaven forever. And if we are people that actually you know, don't want to suffer for Christ, 
just all just want to constantly live for our own selves, how, how are we ever going to be like this? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they should be satisfied. But if we're full of our own earthly ambitions and desires and our own passions and hungers for things, for possessions or whatever, how will, how will we ever um, enjoy the righteousness of Christ? And how, therefore, will we ever be praying, asking, seeking, and knocking um, from the right motivation? The thing is this, is that who's sufficient for these things? That's Paul, Paul was talking this about an aspect of his ministry. Who is sufficient for these? Who of us here can say that when we're coming to pray, we're filled with this kind of motivation? Well, none of us can by ourselves. But this is why we pray in the Spirit. This is why we seek the Spirit of God. And what we should be asking in this coming year for more of the Spirit of God in our own personal lives, that we will be transformed from one degree of likeness of Christ to another through the Spirit of God, and that our, our old nature starts getting filtered out from our prayers, and more and more of the Spirit and of the new nature created in Christ Jesus for good works actually starts coming out in our prayer life. Now, I want to finally kind of finish by saying what everything that we're talking about, asking Um, seeking and knocking applies to the church as a whole. In Acts 12, and I'll just read the passage briefly, Acts chapter 12, we have a crisis in the corporate life of a local church. Because it's a famous church and it's full of relatively famous people, um, you know, we we sometimes sometimes kind of like can can make a a mistake and think, well... (coughs) You know, that's like in the dim, dim, distant past of spiritual saints and heroes. No, it's, it's written in the Bible for us to model our own life, lives on, and particularly our own church life on. It says uh, in uh, chapter 12, verse 5, page 1094, um, it says that... Um, Sorry, verse 1, chapter 12, starting at verse 1. About that time, Herod the king had laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people and have him killed. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer, fervent prayer. Their prayer meeting went on for quite a time, and it appears to be the case that maybe there was a a 24-hour-a-day prayer time going on with people coming and going as as they could. Um, But essentially... uh, the whole church was involved in it. Uh, verse 12 tells us um, that after Peter had been, had been actually miraculously delivered, it says, When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying, 
It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning him with his hand to be silent, he described them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Now, that is a picture of how we as a church should be. I don't just mean church members. I mean those who, who are in fellowship here with us. You may not have actually joined the formal church membership, but you know, you're, you're, you're joining in fellowship with us. You participate with us from day to day, week to week, with trust in Christ. This is how we should breathe. This is what our prayer meeting should be like. There should be as many people at a prayer meeting as there is at a church meeting. There should be a persistence in prayer. There should be a, not only a persistence, but there should be a fervent knocking on the door. Now, Spurgeon uh, uh, spoke about this. I didn't even realize this until I read this. That, that There is an expression in English, dead as a doornail. I'm sure you've heard it or used it. Oh, he's dead as a doornail. <laughs> Now, what it came from, in, in the old days, when people were poor, they couldn't afford uh, expensive uh, door knockers with things that you banged on. They just used to bang a nail into the door, and then they'd have some kind of knocker on a, on a hinge, and they would bang the nail hard to make as, uh, as loud as noise as good. And they banged it so hard, it was like, oh, they really killed that nail with that bang. It was like stoving someone's head in. And when you kept banging it, banging it, banging it, banging it, well, it's as dead as a doornail. Now, the thing is that that strenuous praying, fervent praying, putting all of your energy, just as, as uh, you know, Spurgeon said, you know, people used to, when they used to try to wake someone, they would bang, bang, bang on the door. Well, that's what knocking is actually talking about. It's not a polite, it is actually banging away. And prayer is meant to be energetic, where our hearts, our minds, our bodies are involved. I say our bodies because we need to keep ourselves awake to actually pray. We need to be more intensive than just asking, more even than seeking, but we must be knocking at the door of heaven for the Lord to work. Um, I've mentioned... Uh, the incident in Acts 12, but actually in Acts 2 we have the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost, the whole church gathered day after day uh, for seven weeks after Jesus had, uh, had ascended to heaven and, and uh, well, sorry, in between, in between the, 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 uh, the death of Jesus and his ascension, seven weeks of that and then many days after, they were, they were praying. They were praying constantly. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down in great power. Now, I think a lot of people get, get, uh, don't see the wood for the trees. They think the day of Pentecost is all about people prophesied and they spoke in tongues. And what we need to do is to get prophecy back into the church, get people speaking in tongues. And that, but no, the day of Pentecost finished, completed, when thousands of people were converted. That was what the day of Pentecost was about. It's a day of witness. The disciples who had been praying went out into the streets of Jerusalem and prayed and prophesied. They witnessed to what Christ had done. A, a crowd gathered, and then, they, the, then there was a preacher, Peter, 
And then the Holy Spirit came down on 5,000 people to convert them. They didn't prophesy or or speak in tongues, by the way, the 5,000 that were converted. They got baptized, and then they devoted themselves to the word of God and to prayer. But that's, that's what the church was doing, was praying for the Holy Spirit. Now, we must be praying for the Holy Spirit to come down in such power in our society, in our church. We need, to be pray- we need to be praying for great numbers of conversions, just like the people on the day of Pentecost were, were, had been praying for day after day after day after Jesus had, had ascended, uh, praying that there would be uh, great, and wonderful, great and wonderful things happening. United in prayer. Finally, I want us to notice that uh, the asking, seeking, knocking does tell us a few things about the nature of prayer. Firstly, uh, Jesus is reminding us that God doesn't instantly answer prayer all of the time. Sometimes he does, wonderfully, but often he he keeps us waiting. Why? Firstly, we need to humble ourselves. It's not about me, me, me. Oh, I prayed and God answered. Aren't I a good boy? There's a temptation for all of us to be like that. No, we're reduced to our knees and we carry on praying and God in his sovereign love then then answers prayer we need to humble ourselves and pray if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face then I'll hear from heaven we need to understand also um, the full meaning of what we're praying about. And if, if we always had instant answers to prayer, we, we would be living a totally superficial life. We need to search ourselves and, uh, and seek that our motivation in our prayers is a, one of, of a, pure, a pure concern, a pure love, a pure heart crying out for the Lord working rather than uh, just uh, the answering of our own self-motivated prayers. So... I'd like us uh, to, to think towards the new year in our own lives and let's uh, ask and seek the Lord and let's uh, knock at his door and be assured that he is going to answer our prayers. He's promised it. Uh, as we pray according to his will, as we uh, pray from a pure heart without sin blocking uh, the, the, that prayer, as the Lord says that... Uh, you know, that sin itself prevents him hearing our prayers. Let's make sure that, that we are, are able to get rid of uh, the, false, uh, the false moves of sinful, sinful uh, motivations in our heart. And let's pray in faith. Praying and trusting in uh, the Lord's power in our lives. So uh, let's uh, now finish by uh, singing.